They've given me a really, really easy topic. So let's dig deep into God's presence in dark valleys. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Uh, Good to be here. It really is. I'm excited for today. Um, I know it's not a pretty uh, and nice subject, but I'm actually genuinely excited for this topic because if I could say one thing, uh, as someone who's been in, uh, well, a bit of backstory, and mum and dad, I have two older brothers, and they started going to our church when they found out they were pregnant with me, so literally raised in my home church. Uh, at the night, it became a C3, mum's water broke, and I was born a few hours later, so I've been there literally my entire life, except for two years of Bible college in Sydney, and then uh, working on staff, January will be 18 years on staff, the first five years were part-time, and then 13 years full-time, we did youth, we did young adults, we did Bible college, we did small groups, we've done it all, and uh, November 1st will be eight years since we've been overseeing C3 Corumbin, and so I love it, it's an honor, it's... Um it's such a gift. And being in a charismatic church my entire life, I say what I'm about to say with the utmost respect and love. I fear that sometimes in our charismatic church circles, we don't preach on suffering enough. And there's this beautiful biblical truth that God is a good God. Amen? And God is a healer. Amen? And God is a blesser, Jehovah Jireh, amen, and redeemer. And while those things are true, sometimes we take them to the nth degree and go, well, if God is good and God is a healer and God is a redeemer and God is a deliverer, well, that means that it is not of his will or intention for me to have a tough day. And I just feel like that is so not true say this with all the respect in my heart, I fear that that is actually quite an immature, infant way of viewing God and the Word of God and God's plan for your life. And so today, if you'll allow me, I want us to go deeper into the riches of God's presence and goodness in the midst of your dark valley, not in the absence of it, in the midst of it. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. And above that, We thank you for loving us. God, it was your loving kindness that led us to repentance. God, you keep chasing us down. When we were lost sheep, you found us, put us on your shoulders, rejoiced bringing us home, celebrated with the angels in heaven over our salvation. God, it is all from you and through you and to you. We praise you. We recognize today as we sit here that we are not here because we found you and we're really good Christians. We are here today in a relationship with you because you found us. So God, I pray for revelation today. Anything I make up, I pray it falls to the ground and none of us remember it, but everything of you, I pray it transforms. I pray it accomplishes that which you set it out to do. I pray it would shape us and mold us to be more resilient. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23, easily one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And I hope you've been here the last few weeks. I'm, uh, I'm sure it's been incredible content as you lo- looked at. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I always love that. The word shepherd there is ra'ah. And the thing I love about it, spirit in Hebrew all through the Old Testament is ruah. And then we come to this passage, the Lord is my ra'ah, shepherd. And once you get that, once you get that God is your shepherd, you get to this place where you're like, I have all that I need. Amen? 
that contentment in your relationship with God, that contentment that even if life sucks for you today, you have him, so you have more than enough. And then good things follow. Amen. He, he leads you beside rivers of living water. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He restores your soul. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. But the thing I would ask today, because some people do believe, well, it is not of God's will that I go through tough times. It is not of God's will that bad things happen to me. And I, I think if we read this passage in context, I would have to ask you, well, when a good shepherd restores our soul, who needs their soul restored other than someone who's been through a tough time? And so I would go so far. The reason I said immature and infant way of viewing God and the Bible, if you think, oh, tough days aren't a part of God's will, I would actually say you're robbing God of this spot of revealing himself to you as restorer, comforter in your trials. If you're constantly praying, God, take me out of this valley instead of looking for what God might be doing in this valley. I want us to look at today three things, the temporary presence of suffering, the constant presence of God, the optional presence of fear. Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. What does it mean for us to go through these tough times? If you're here and you're a parent, uh, and I said something like this, I've got my son Abel outside, he did this trip with me, some daddy buddy time, and if I said, oh, I just adore my son, I, I love my son so much, and I want him to be such a man of God, so therefore I am going to endeavor to make sure that he never has a tough day in his life, because I love him. I'm guessing... I'm just guessing that parents in the room, apart from laughing at me, would say, well, that's a beautiful father heart. That's a beautiful statement. But that's actually not a great thing for your son because adversity creates resilience. Tough times actually create resilient believers. Or as your pastor often says to me, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. It's his favorite statement. Tough times create tough Christians. You can push back on this, but this is my take, my opinion. I think when COVID hit and services were taken away from us and we were forced to stay at our home, it was revealed to us how many weak Christians we have in the church in Australia especially. When all of a sudden they're not out evangelizing. They're not studying their word. They're not praising God in this time. Church-wide, Australia-wide, we saw this massive group of people say, church isn't for me anymore. And in doing that, stopped walking with God, stopped having a relationship with God. But I think, I think if we were to push in in a tough time, I think if we would instead, instead of going, God, take me out of this valley, if we would go, God, what are you doing now and here? I think there's a beautiful lesson on offer for us. Wouldn't you agree? Temporary presence of trials. Temporary, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you've got your Bible or you're taking notes, head over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
all. I'm going to pick up in verse 3 NLT just because I want you to catch the thought of what's happening here. I'm going to read it out for you. All praise to God. Like a joy-filled song. Praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Thank you, Lord. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Can you hear the excitement here? Is this like, is this sounding good? Peter's writing to the church that are exiled. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, all these beautiful words, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. Until you receive this salvation, which is, all, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Verse 6, hear this, Christians. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. And then we close our Bible and we go home. And we think things like every day's a Friday or your best life. And we think there's never going to be any tough times because we didn't read the rest of the scripture. But if you're willing to stay in church and keep the word going, we're going to just finish that verse. Verse 6, so be truly glad, Christian. And there is wonderful joy ahead, Christian. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. But these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested by as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, yuck. If you've got that black highlighter, just go ahead and just scribble all over that. That's gross. That does not belong. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I love this. You, You love him, don't you? Even though you've never seen him, and though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Finish with this, and the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Once again, what is on offer to you in the midst of your trial? And sometimes, and and hear me now, if you come to a prayer meeting, if you're here tomorrow and you are crying out and you're believing for a miracle, you're believing for salvation, you're believing for deliverance, you're believing for provision, please know as a pastor, and I know your pastors as well, we will stand with you and say yes and amen. Great. I want to pray with that. I want to have faith. I want to believe for incredible things to happen. I'm praying to a good, loving Father in heaven. But my question at the same time is, what are you doing between that prayer and God actually delivering? How is your heart towards God while you're in this valley? And what is God showing you in this valley? Too many Christians think it is not part of God's will for me to have a tough day. Once again, I think there's something greater for us. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're taking notes, we see this beautiful thing where Paul is taking up into third heaven, right? It's, it's remarkable. He gets his vision. It's incredible. He's like, I don't even know if I was in the body or not. It's this wild moment. And then, oh, we don't like this. It says, to, to keep me from becoming proud, a messenger of Satan was given to me to torment me or buffet me. How incredible is this? It's not even like, here's what I want you to catch. It's not even like Paul had sinned. He doesn't write, because I became proud, God sent a messenger of Satan to beat me up. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud. God had this sovereign plan. And Okay, if you're sitting here and you're like, how do we know it was God? Okay, well, let's just take a moment. The outcome was a holy outcome to keep him from becoming proud, right? And so God uses Satan, the reason he didn't annihilate him at the moment of his fall, but allows him to exist for a season knowing that annihilation is coming one day. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Annihilation is coming one day, but right now he's given to Paul to torment him. That word torment, it's only other time it's used is when Jesus is being beaten up just before he goes to the cross. And Paul is saying to keep me from becoming proud, this messenger of Satan was given to me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it from me. And God in his goodness and God in his love and God in his sovereignty said, no, said no you know the good shepherd we've been studying you know the loving father we have in heaven you know that God he's good right we're not doubting his goodness well in his goodness he looked at Paul and in this moment he said no and you gotta I think this is so fascinating like in Acts 19 Paul's, you know, his shadow, man, Peter's shadow's healing people. Paul's handkerchief is, is healing people. Like miracles that are just strange are happening. And in this moment, when Paul is pleading, take this thorn in my flesh, we won't speculate at what it is. Scripture doesn't clarify. Take it away. God in his sovereign love says no. Why? Because he wanted Paul to learn to rejoice in his weakness, because God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And what was Paul's response with this thorn in his flesh? What was Paul's response in this pain and agony? So I learned to rejoice for when I am weak, then he is strong. One of the greatest lessons you will learn won't come from times of blessing. If you're anything like me, when life's really easy, when you've got more more than enough finances in the bank, when your family's healthy right now, when relationships are going well, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm not on my knees that often crying out to God. I'm not studying my word late at night, kept up because I can't sleep. I'm not pushing further into God than I've ever pushed in a really good season. But a trial comes my way. Where are Why have you forsaken me? Where are you now, God? And in the moment of pushing into him, he has something for us to learn. I genuinely believe 
that part of you maturing as a Christian can only happen through valleys, tough times, times of suffering. But the thing I want to press on, and we were singing it today, though I walk through the valley. Christian, don't, don't make camp there. Don't, 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 don't set up there. Don't build a house there. Get going. You're going to get through it. It's a temporary moment of suffering. It is a temporary, get through it. But God has a lesson for you to learn. Do you find it tough in John 11? I find, I find this fascinating. I, I, I'm trying to figure out Jesus and we just can't do that. But, I'm, you know, you look at John 11 and Lazarus, who you love, is sick. And Jesus says, this sickness is not unto death. And Jesus decided to stay where he was for two more days. And then he does die. Is anyone with me on this? This sickness is not under death. So he stays where he was two more days. And then Lazarus died. He's like, okay, now, now it's time to go. And he goes. And we read at the end of John 11. He prays out loud. Father, I'm only praying out loud for those who are here. You already heard me. We can, we can assume Lazarus is already resurrected inside the tomb. And Lazarus comes out. Start of chapter 12 in John. He's having lunch. He's having a meal with Jesus. It's a remarkable story. But in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the trauma of his friend and, and, and Mary and Martha's brother dying, we read one of the most powerful verses, I, I would actually argue, in all of the Gospels. In John chapter 11, if you're taking notes, verse 25 to 26. Hear me now. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's one of the seven great I am's, the gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus had to allow Lazarus to die and Martha to go through a valley before she could get this revelation. Because she comes to Jesus, she's like, I know at the end of the times, I know way, 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 way back you're going to raise him. I get that. And Jesus is like, no, I've got something for you to learn now. Now I'm the resurrection and the life. It's on offer now. And sometimes we can only learn that in a really difficult moment. But here's what I love about that verse. This is why this valley is only a shadow of death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Christian, is your faith in Christ? Then every death we encounter here is only a shadow of death. It's only us being transformed into the truest version of life we've ever experienced. Yeah, we mourn, and yes, there is pain, but that is not death. Death does not have the final say. Jesus does. And he is the resurrection and the life. This is why in the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. Why? Because the King of kings, the one who conquered sin and death, the Lord of lords, is with me. It's a temporary presence of suffering for you are with me i'm going to flip this i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i'll fear no evil because why am i fearing no evil is because i have lots of energies because i have lots of bravery is is it because i have lots of boldness 
Or is it because I've seen that you are with me? Fearing no evil, I'm going to finish with fearing no evil. Fearing no evil is a byproduct, not the product. The goal is not fearing evil. The goal is seeing that God is with you. Fear will leave the moment you fix your eyes on Jesus. See the difference? I'm going to finish with fearing evil. For you are with me. The constant presence of God. Oh, come with me. Okay. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, there's this beautiful prophecy about Christ. And behold, the virgin will conceive a son and she will give birth to him and his name will be Emmanuel. And it literally says there, God with us. And and I've heard it preached my entire life, God with us. And I I remember studying a few years ago and one of the lecturers said to me this great thing that it might not be a big shift for you, but for me, this was a game changer. Emmanuel, God with us. He said, that's not actually the best translation. L at the end. Emmanuel, L means God and God is at the end. Iman is where we get the word imminent and that means now and here. So this might be subtle to you, but this changed everything for me. He said, the best translation is not God with us. It's the with us God. Imminent is at the start, here and now. With us, Emmanuel, the with us God. Here's why it's huge to me. If we go and look at Jesus and we're like God with us, then that is a decision or a position he is in. But if he is the with us God, then it's not just his position, it's his character. It's who he is. So God is not with you because he's deciding to be. God is with you because it's who he is. He can't not be with you. David said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. This was prophesied to us, but only fulfilled in Christ. Amen. That's why uh, that, that verse in Isaiah seven fourteen is yet again echoed when Gabriel comes down in Matthew 1, 23. He says this. He says the same verse. Mary, the virgin, will conceive. It's fulfilled in Christ, but it was fulfilled through the cross. So, the permanent presence of God with us. Why do I want to stress that God is with you constantly. Because I want you to get what Jesus went through to achieve this for you. Okay. so You and I, you more than me, are going through Psalm 23, right? It's a beautiful Psalm. Once again, my favorite Psalm. Have you had a chance yet to read Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is all about Christ on the cross. It literally starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? It literally says in Psalm 22, they've pierced my hands and my feet. They they have divided my clothes. They cast lots for my clothes. Psalm 22 is all about Jesus being abandoned for you and I. Psalm 24, on the other side, have you read it yet? It's all about future glory. Oh, open up, 
heaven's gates. Uh, who, who can ascend? Who can come? Only the king of glory. It's about one day entering the presence of God forever, the future glory that awaits us. And here, smack in the middle of Psalm 22 and Psalm 24 is this beautiful picture of the life of a Christian. And there is times of living water and there is times of restoring your soul and there is green pastures and we will finish with surely goodness and loving mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But in the life of a Christian, we have these tough times, dark valleys. But the thing I want you to get, really want you to get, hopefully I can articulate it well enough. It's the reason you and I can be so confident In Psalm 23, verse 4, the you are with me is because Jesus was betrayed for us, forsaken for us in Psalm 22. Literally on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now what is the outcome? What is the overflow? If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God's promise to you and I. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is the presence of God with us forever. That's why the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God's presence isn't limited to some holy of holies. God's presence is with you in your toughest day. Amen. I'm jumping ahead a couple of times. Okay, so verse 6, someone's going to preach that in a couple of weeks, more than likely, Justin. It's going to be this, surely goodness and loving mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I cannot interpret that like every day is going to be easy. I think David's saying that even though he knows more valleys of darkness are coming. And even in the midst of your valley, goodness and loving mercy is on offer to you. Hear me clearly. Goodness and loving mercy are not the absence of tough times. They're the presence of God in your tough times. Even in this valley, surely goodness and loving mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Next week, whoever's on, oh, there's something you've got to catch, man. Next week, you prepare a table for me. Where? In the midst of my enemies. God isn't so focused on getting you away from your enemies in tough times. And then here's lunch table. Now I'll prepare this really easy feast in the midst of your difficult day. Christian, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of that bad health report, in the midst of that fear, that mental health issue, that depression and anxiety, in the midst of your darkness, God is good and he's there and he's going, come, sit and eat with me. Let me restore your soul. Let me remove fear. Now, here, in the midst. Why? Because Christian life isn't about rainbows and flipping candy and all that kind of garbage that gets preached sometimes. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be the presence of God in the midst. What did Joseph say to his brothers 
after they restored their relationship in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What you meant for evil, God destined for good. God uses your tough time. Don't sit there and tell me, oh, it wasn't God's will for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the fire. He just used it. Well, the outcome was a whole kingdom turned to the Lord and worshipped him. In the midst of your fire, Jesus is there and he has a plan. I'll finish with this last point. You okay? Temporary presence of suffering, the constant presence of God, the optional presence of fear. Something I want to be really, really, really clear about in case you're mishearing what I'm saying when I say the optional presence of fear. If you're going through a really tough time right now and fear is there, I am not saying push it away. Pretend it's not there, reject it. That's not faith. Okay? If you have fear, feel it. Don't suppress it. Don't let it go crazy. I, I, I can't stand fake faith preachers. It's like you can't feel angst. You can't feel depressed. You can't feel sadness. You can't feel fear. Feel it. And then bring it to the cross. Don't stand at the cross of Jesus going, I'm happy. Thank you. Like be honest. Be open. Come to him with your actual feelings. Lord, I'm really afraid right now. Can you help me? God, I'm really angry right now. Can you help me? God, I'm really sad right now. Can you help me? One of my favorite passages of Scripture, it's Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. Therefore, we don't have a high priest in heaven who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but instead one, Jesus Christ, who is tempted in every way we are, yet did not sin. Therefore, come boldly into the throne room of grace. You can obtain mercy and find favor in a time of need. Sometimes we only preach 16. Come on, be confident. Come on, put your chest out. Come on, be bold. Boldness is an outcome. Catch 15. Here's what I want you to catch. A high priest who sympathizes with us. That he, a Greek word there, sympatheo. Do you know what it literally means? Someone who crawls into the hole with you and sits next to you. When you're in your weakness and you're in your suffering and you're in your pain and you are just weeping and weeping and weeping, here's, if you forget everything today, I seriously, this is the one thing I want you to catch if you forget everything. Jesus isn't asking you to be brave. He's not asking you to get over it. He's not asking you to stick your chest out and be really confident. Jesus is just sitting down next to you going, I get it. This sucks. I get it. This is hard. And Jesus sits with you in that. And then he grabs you by the hand. He's like, come with me. See what I mean? This boldness, it's not like, oh, I've got to believe in myself more. It's not that. But you've just got to be so convinced that Jesus wants to help you. 
Come boldly in the throne room of grace that you can obtain mercy and find favor. When? In a time of need. You hear me now? People crushing it right now aren't in a time of need. It's not the throne room of high fives and rewards. Come to the throne room of grace to obtain mercy. Find favor in a time of need. You in a valley right now? Jesus is with you. And he's got good things for you. In your valley, there's mercy. In your valley, surely goodness and loving mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In your valley, Jesus is sitting with you going, this won't overcome you. We're not camping here. I'm with you, but we'll get through this. And you only grow into that level of maturity with Christ in a valley. So Christian, don't reject your valley. Instead go, God, what are you doing in me in this valley? And when you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, fear will leave. I can't stress this enough. Don't try and remove fear. Fear will be pushed out. If you're like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, it'll stay there. It'll probably just grow. If you're like, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, fear will leave. Fear's gone. There's no room left in here. I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Amen. There's other things I could do, but I'll simply finish with this. Hebrews 13. I think it was 13. Yeah, I think it was 13. It says, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Not an overflow. If you're anything like me, you'll find it easy to praise when you win the lottery. You'll find it easy to praise when your kids adore you. You'll find it easy to praise when your neighbor's getting saved. A sacrifice of praise is something different. I love these songs today. Gosh, I love some of those songs. A sacrifice of praise says, Lord, nothing in my life or situation is making me want to praise right now. But I'm going to give it anyway. Because I don't praise you because of what's going on around me. I praise you because of who you are. I'm going to sacrifice in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to sacrifice with praise. I wanted to preach on this story for so much longer, but I'll just, in case you know it, I love Acts 16 so much. Paul and Silas get this call from Macedonia. Come over here. They go over there. They're preaching the gospel. This girl with a demon, possessed girl, follows them. Paul casts the demon out. Anyway, long story, but they get beaten up. The owners are really annoyed, so they get beaten up. Paul and Silas get beaten up, thrown in prison. And we know the outcome. So sometimes we put ourselves in this really nice place where we're like, yeah, I would have done the same thing. Paul and Silas were praising and singing hymns at midnight. And all of a sudden there was this earthquake and all the prisoners were set free. And it was incredible. My question is this, not could you see yourself praising like them at midnight when the earthquake hit? My question is this, and I'll finish with this. What would you be doing at 11.50? If you were sitting there going, God called me here, 
I was faithful to God. I preached the gospel. And all of a sudden now I've just been beaten up, thrown in the inner prison and forgotten about. Where the heck are you? Why would I live for you? Why would I keep going to church? Why would I stay faithful to you? Why would I keep putting you first? Where are you? I put you first, but you've just abandoned me in prison. I think that's what I'd be like if I'm honest. Paul and Silas decided to go even in this prison, even in this pain, God is praiseworthy. Right? The position I'm hoping that you and I can grow to is that our Christendom isn't based in we love God because we get nice things. But our Christendom is based in we love God because He is good. Even if my situation sucks, He is good. So I praise Him. Job says, even though He slay me, yet will I praise Him. So, before I hand back to your pastors, my final encouragement is, Christian, if today is dark, if this health battle you're going through is tough, if that loved one you've been praying for is just showing no signs of repentance or coming to the Lord, if that your business financial situation is really tough, what is God doing in your valley? Keep going. But what's God got on offer in your valley? What does he want you to learn in the suffering? Because I believe that is what makes resilience. If you can come out, going, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Can I pray with you? Lord, we love you. Mature our faith. We say that a lot, but mature our faith so that on the hardest day, the darkest day, the toughest day, we will still say, that you are with us, fear no evil, and will praise your name. I thank you for myself, my brothers and sisters here, that our faith in you is not circumstantial. That we can truly fulfill James's words to us and count it all joy in the presence of trials, knowing that they're doing something, knowing that the testing of our faith is producing patience. Lord, help us to count it joy. Praise you in these valleys of darkness. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.